has for me and my house. Thanks for joining us in your homes and around your tables as we dive into our study in Philippians, which we have entitled, Finding Joy in Every Season. Okay, so expending great energy to accomplish a goal is something that I think most people have done in their lives, uh, perhaps in finishing a degree, uh, just even doing your job, uh, maybe courting a spouse, building a house. You know, there are certain areas where we are willing to sacrifice time and energy in to reach that objective. It's a good thing, isn't it, Lauren, to Mm -hmm. set goals and to work hard. Um, But we want to make sure that we are focusing on the best things and and doing them the right way to have an eternal impact. Uh, That's what we're going to look at today in our study in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. We want to look and see where in our lives to expend great effort for kingdom purposes. So let's begin right away. Uh, Let's look at verse 12. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. Now, we're going to pause on that first word. That first word is therefore. It's a very important word. Um, We we all know that saying, you know, what's the therefore, therefore. And we need to look back on the previous verses and and see what it's there for. And and, And this is the example of Christ that we had just studied last week. The humility and the exaltation of Christ. This is what is now moving and encouraging and um, uh, leading us towards selfless love and unity and great humility. Definitely. And next he says, my beloved, um, we just see such a tender hearted affection here from Paul. We see him bring this kind word of encouragement before his weighty exhortation. We can learn from this in our own relationships too, that growth happens in an atmosphere of hope and encouragement not harsh negativity. Uh, Right. And the Apostle Paul, uh, from there, goes on to say, uh, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. Uh, So let's just notice in these very few words here, Paul is commending Mm -hmm. his Philippian brothers and sisters. He's commending them on their past obedience. Um, So he's pointing out both his affection, that is my beloved, and the past positive action, that is as you have always obeyed. This is a really good practice. We might miss this in the text, but a great practice as we work with other people who are under our instruction to commend before we command, Mm -hmm. because Paul is going to do a command here next. But uh, here now we see this commending before commanding, this encouraging before exhorting. So let's keep reading now. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, now here comes the command. Not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this verse has caused a lot of confusion over the years. This part in particular about work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Is Paul suggesting that we work for our salvation as if we could earn it? No, it says uh, work out, not work for Paul is talking about salvation as something that is already possessed for the Christian. So what we want to understand in this passage is that as we think about salvation, there are three three tenses of salvation, Lauren, right? Um, There's the past tense, that in Christ you have been saved already from the penalty of sin. That is justification. And then there is the present tense. You are being saved from the power of sin. This is what we call sanctification. And then there's also, thirdly, the future tense, that you will be saved from the presence of sin. 
This we can call glorification. Now in our, in our passage today, the tense is the present tense. And this is relating to our sanctification, our growth in godliness. So you could read this passage as saying, work out your, self, <laughs> work out your sanctification with fear and trembling. Now, Lauren, you have some experience with this idea of, of working out. Definitely. Yeah, this is a wonderful passage showing where we should focus our goals and our energy. Uh, I've helped people to train for weight loss goals and health goals and races, but this passage is showing where the most important focus should be, and that's on our sanctification. It's becoming like Christ, growing in humility, becoming selfless, growing in our service to others. I love how my seminary professor used to say, work out your salvation. It's like a workout. Uh, exercise, train yourself to be godly. Titus says the grace of God is like a personal trainer to us. It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled lives. We are to expend effort in putting sin to death and growing to be like Jesus, not to be saved, but because we have been saved. Yeah, and isn't it so important to get this, Lauren? Because here I think a lot of people take a wrong view. They, they hear the word works with Christianity mm-hmm. and they react and they, they think that anytime you use that word, we're talking about legalism. Mm-hmm. And, and there is a false belief that people in the church could think that um, we don't do any work. Mm-hmm. We don't do any works. And um, that if you're under grace, you can do whatever you want. And it's, it's simply not true. Uh, under grace means we're not under... Um, uh, we're not under like the ceremonial laws uh, of the Old Testament, but we still are under the moral law, the Ten mm-hmm. Commandments, the commandments that we find in the New Testament yeah. in summary. Um, so there are here's some cross-references that what we do matters. We mm-hmm. are to work at our faith. Mm-hmm. So Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Lauren, can you read the next cross-reference? Yeah, Hebrews 6.11 says, We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end. We do not want you to be lazy. So what we're talking about, right, Lauren, is that this is not earning salvation, Mm -hmm. but evidence of salvation. Mm -hmm. That we need to take sanctification seriously. This is an evidence of our coming and knowing Christ. Now, sometimes we wish there was a shortcut to growing in godliness. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but, but there's not, right? <laughs> right. And we need to keep in mind that grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. Right. Yeah. So there's no coasting in the Christian life, no shortcut. We, we wish that were true. We, we, you know, we live in a culture where we have easy solutions, microwaves, mm-hmm. internets, everything comes fast and easy. Um, there's no growth hormone in the Christian mm-hmm. life, right? Um, and we have to get into the gym and, and do it the old school way. And, and here's the key. Paul says to do this with fear and trembling. Hmm. These are interesting words. He could have said other things. He could have said, work out your salvation with perseverance and persistence or with discipline and drive. But he says with fear and trembling. Hmm. And, and Paul is pointing us to now the greatness and awe of God, uh, of, of a holy God who hmm. is watching us all the time. Um, our God knows our thoughts, and, and it is a true fear of God that keeps people from going down a sinful path, and it should keep us from going down that path. Hmm. So the opposite of this kind of fear and trembling is a, is a casual attitude towards sin and towards sanctification that, that doesn't take the commands of God seriously 
and doesn't put effort into the Christian walk. Yeah. There's a fear that drives people away from God, and I think there's a fear that draws people to God. Uh, the first Spurgeon called the fear of a slave. The latter is the fear of a son. And this is what we want to have. We can see both of these in Exodus 20, verse 20. Moses says, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. So the true fear and trembling of a son or daughter of God draws us close to God, and it keeps us from sin. It's not a fear of punishment, but of not wanting to disappoint our Father, whom we love so much. He is a loving God, but he is also a holy God. And as Psalm 96, 9 says, we worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. We tremble before him. Hmm. So what we've seen in these verses is that first Paul commends, and then he commands, and now we also see that he comforts. Uh, he has a word of you know, real consolation here for mm-hmm. us in all of this. He goes on to say in verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If we look at that verse, that phrase, this should really get us to jump out and praise mm-hmm. and encourage us. We work out our salvation because of this great, great promise. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So Lauren, um, so, so who is at work in this whole process? Yeah, the passage emphatically emphasizes it is God. God is working. Uh, the word for working is energeo in Greek, and you can see the word energy in this word. God provides the energy we need to put sin to death. God provides the ability for us to fight the good fight and labor towards godliness. So the energy comes from him. We see that only God's power makes godly effort possible. It is impossible without him. Jesus says in John 15, apart from him, we can do nothing. So we see we don't play equal roles in the sanctification process. The emphasis on the sentence is actually on God's work. Mm -hmm. And when we look at how the structure of the sentence is, we see that the whole reason we work is because he has worked first. So we know the scripture we love because God first loved us, but it's also true that we work because God first worked in us. And Paul is a great example of that. In Colossians 1.29, he says, for this I toil, he's talking about presenting everyone perfect in Christ, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Yeah, this is real comfort that even mm-hmm. I need. I mean, to know that mm-hmm. I'm not doing this on my own. I'm not doing this by myself. Yeah. If, if it's up to me to grow in godliness, to do ministry, um, I, I'm done. Hmm. But to know that God is at work first, providing the energy, uh, providing all that I need to, to move on. Um, and so God gives us the will to change. He gives us the desire to change. And let that be an encouragement to all of us listening. If you have a desire to change, uh, that's from God. He is the one who's helping you to do that. He's the one that's helping you to resist temptation, um, to not like sin, to grow in, in godliness. Yeah, it's a great reassurance. So if we have even the faintest desire to put sin to death or to grow in godliness and in our relationship with the Lord, that is from God. Mm-hmm. We should be so encouraged today because we would have none of that if it were not for his work in our life. So let's not ignore those desires, but fan them into flame, even just 
listening and discussing this Bible study or others. That's, that's God's work in you to give that desire. If you, you're dropping plans to meet with a friend in need or send an encouraging email, that's God's work in you. Having a genuine godly sorrow for our sins and desiring to grow in our relationship with the Lord, that is God's work in us. So it's, it's easy for us to be discouraged, and that's where Satan wants us to be, to have just we're tempted to despair and become overwhelmed at how slow we are in our growth process. Um, we all feel that at times, but we, we are to take heart that God is at work in us. Mm. Yeah, so if you have those desires in your heart, God is at work. Be, be encouraged. And on the other hand, though, we want to note that the opposite is true as well. Uh, that if one has absolutely no desire to grow or to know the Lord or to grow in godliness, um, we, we need to assess, right, if we really are in the faith. Mm-hmm. Well, what does this look like now? Um, what is the starting place of sanctification? And there's a lot that Paul could say, but it might surprise us as to where Paul goes next as he begins to unpack now what this looks like. And here now in verse 214, he says, uh, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Huh. Hmm. So um, this is what Paul brings up, this temptation to grumble or argue. Uh, why would Paul go here? Hmm. And, and I think it's because Paul is a realist. Hmm. He knows that Christian perseverance is difficult. Uh, he knows that discipleship is not easy. And when the going gets tough, the most natural response is to complain. Uh, I mean, I think if we all just stop for a minute, uh, or at least many of us, we might realize like this is this is really true, hmm. and and uh, we we are tempted to grumble and to dispute. It's one of the first reactions in our lives, and um, it, and why is that? It can come from pressure. Uh, last week we saw that there was internal strife in the Philippian church, and there was external pressure. Uh, when we're under pressure, we can we can go to complaining to God and to one another. I think another reason why we grumble and complain, Lauren, is, um, is, is high hopes, is to have big expectations that are unrealistic. I think we can, ha- I think we can have these in the church, of mm-hmm. one another, of our leaders. Um, we forget that people are people. Mm-hmm. Inevitably, they will let you down at some point. And so grumbling is a, a huge issue, a big enemy in our lives. I know it is in my life. And it's been around for a very long time. Yeah. And the first image that comes to my mind is of the Israelites in the wilderness when we talk about this. You know, they modeled this irreverent attitude the best. Yeah. 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 You should share that story. Would you do that? Definitely. They, They were slaves in Egypt and the Lord worked many miracles to deliver them out. You would think that they would, there would be much fear and trembling before this great God, uh, who would lead them by a pillar of fire um, at night in a pillar of smoke by day. You'd think there'd be great excitement as the Lord is leading them to a new and beautiful and prosperous land. You'd think there'd be much gratitude for the manna falling from the sky each morning and the constant provision from the very hand of God, but, but it was not so. Instead, there was constant complaining about the food. They wanted meat. Yeah, well, I think a lot of the men listening can relate to this, right? The <laughs> yeah. meat part. Yeah, but there was constant complaining also about the leadership. Why should Moses have all this, the authority? Weren't they all God's children? There was constant grumbling against the Lord that he would take them away from their amazing pots of food in Egypt. Yeah, it's amazing. They're looking back at their captivity in Egypt and they're <laughs> saying, but remember the leeks? You know, remember the cucumbers and the melons and the onions and the garlic? 
Uh, that's Numbers 11. Um, and, and, and when we look at Israel, um, we so easily see how this can be us too. And, and we need to be on guard um, to, have an at, to not have an attitude like mm-hmm. this. Um, this grumbling, this complaining, uh, it, it happens. And, and, and so what do we do? We need to repent if we have entertained these thoughts. Uh, we need to come back to our Lord and we need to remember that it did not end well for these hard-hearted Israelites. Mm. They never fully repented. They hardened their heart to the leadership that God had for them, and they became disobedient. Um, they were an unbelieving generation that never entered the, the rest of the promised land. Not one of them entered except for Caleb and Joshua. Yeah, and we don't want to be like that. We don't want to have that same sort of spiritual amnesia. You know, they had a privileged attitude of, we deserve better. And we want to just examine our own hearts and make sure we don't have that attitude because we should ask ourselves, what do we really deserve? And the truth is, we, we deserve judgment. But in Christ, we get grace. We, we can't have this entitled mentality that all of life needs to serve my preferences. And if it doesn't, I'm going to complain. If we are a servant, we cannot have this mentality You know, grumbling is a gauge of the human soul. It gauges our gaze on grace and our gaze on heavenly things. Mm -hmm. Okay, so everyone, what is the opposite Mm -hmm. of grumbling? Lauren, what's the opposite of grumbling? Gratitude. It's gratitude. Gratitude pours out out of our souls whenever we are receiving a gift that we know that we don't deserve. Mm -hmm. And uh, we experience a humble happiness. As sinners who have received the gospel of the grace of God, That's what happens. Definitely. Yeah. And I just want to share a quote I read about um, grumbling to just accent um, really what it is in God's sight. The quote is, but grumbling is the accent of hell's language because it's how a creature's pride responds to the creator's decision to do or allow something that the creature does not desire. Grumbling scorns God because it elevates our desires and judgments above his. But we friends are citizens of a different place, and we speak a very different language. It requires taking our eyes off of ourselves and onto him. Our language as citizens of a heavenly kingdom is that of gratitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is really getting at the way we speak. What mm-hmm. accent will we have? Mm-hmm. The accent from the pit or the accent of mm-hmm. citizens of a heavenly kingdom? And so um, Paul's going to show us now the reason for all of this. Uh, what what difference does it make mm-hmm. that our lives would be be marked by by gratitude and not grumbling? Verse fifteen, he says that you may be blameless and innocent, mm-hmm. children of God without blemish. So if we can put to death complaining and arguing, it says that we will grow to be blameless and pure without blemish. This is getting at our internal character and internal purity. And as we continue to read, we see that this is. In the midst, it says, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation that we are going to shine as lights in the world. So now notice this is on the external. Mm. This is our witness. So we see an internal and external reality of what happens as we work out our salvation. We're changed inwardly and our witness is is strengthened outwardly. Yeah, I love that it says to shine, that we're in this very dark world, but our job is to shine as different, to shine with gratitude as our eyes are focused on heavenly things. 
Uh, so it's our attitude that causes us to shine. So I was just reflecting on how are some ways that we shine as different in our world. Uh, so first thing that came to mind, in a world obsessed with self and material things and material gain, we live and speak in such a way that people cannot help but notice that our treasure is Christ. When we suffer, we don't model bitterness, anger, and cynicism, but we manifest confidence in the goodness of God. Yeah, and I think about when everyone else is complaining about the weather or the food mm. or the restaurant service. Um, we, you know, we show, we show a gratitude in our hearts that though we deserve much worse, God is graciously giving us another day of life. Mm. Um, when the world is arguing over petty things, we shine by pursuing peace instead of nitpicking. And when the world is about self-exaltation and pride, we model humility and honoring others above ourselves. And then in verse 16, it says, Paul says, holding fast to the word of life, where the uh, King James Version translation says, holding forth the word of life. So there's a reality of, of clinging to the word through everything uh, to make it through this dark world. Uh, dark world and to shine. And there's a reality of holding this word of life out to a broken and dying world, that they might see Jesus, that they might repent and believe in him. So it is the word of life that uh, imparts eternal life for all who receive it by faith. Hmm. Another way that I think about this is that Paul is saying we need to be proclaiming, not complaining. Hmm. And now why does Paul want us to live this way. He says, so that, verse 16, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in labor, uh, run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, also, you, you should be glad and rejoice with me. This is a great image of what our lives should be. Paul is giving us this picture of being poured out mm. like a drink offering. Just imagine that cup, that mm. jug being poured out. Uh, it's being poured out for others as he seeks first the kingdom of God. He says elsewhere that he dies daily. And he's saying that it's only worthwhile if these people live out their faith in, in Christ. Yeah, and if they don't uh, make progress in this path of godliness and sharing the gospel with the lost, all of this work is in vain. It's worthless. And note that this is all looking toward the day of Christ, the culmination of all things. He has that day in mind, and this spurs him on. Okay, so let's just connect all of this to last week's passage. Mm. How are we to live in light of the truths of Christ's humiliation and glorification, as we saw last week? And, and what Paul is showing us is that in the shadow of the cross, so therefore, in the shadow of the cross and before the throne of God, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Let me just pause and ask, mm -hmm. are we doing that? Are, is that our objective mm. to work out our faith with this fear and trembling? What are you working at at home? Mm. Uh, what projects do you have on the go? Are you working out your, your faith mm -hmm. with God? And, uh, and then giving a shining witness to a dark world by not grumbling, but holding out the word of life. So is that us today? Let's just, I think I need this in my life. Mm -hmm. I think we all need this in our lives to mm -hmm. examine, am I, am, I, am I complaining or am I proclaiming? And this dark world needs us. It needs our attitude, needs our words, uh, so that they might have the word of life held out to them. And then lastly, we're rejoicing through 
sacrificial service. Again, that's that picture of Paul pouring himself out. So we're rejoicing through sacrificial service rooted in the grace of God and anticipating the coming day of Christ. Mm-hmm. So is that us today? Are we working? Are we shining? Are we serving? Mm. I hope that's our prayer. Um, be, let's be exhorted to do that in, in our lives. And more than anything, let's pray. Let's ask for this. We know it's God who is at work in us mm. to, to do this. So let's bow in prayer. Father, we pray that we would press on toward holiness in our lives, uh, knowing that you are the one that is producing the desire and the energy and the ability to grow in godliness. So we ask that you would please do that in us, that you would put to death in us the complaining or the disputing that might mark our lives, and that we would grow uh, for our witness in this, in this world, this dark world that needs the light of Christ. And we pray that we would do this joyfully, that we would pour ourselves out for the sake of others. Let this be our joy today. We thank you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. We look forward to discussing the rest of chapter two next week. Mm -hmm.